The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Well, this morning we do get to remember and celebrate together the most important thing that's ever happened. And this is, if this is true, this is the most important thing that's ever happened, the, liz- the literal physical, actual, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, from the, ver- from the very beginning, Christianity has staked everything on this claim. Everything. And the claim is that the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is historical fact. It's historical fact. But there's so much more than, than that to it. It's not only the greatest thing that's ever happened historically. It's meant to be the greatest thing that's ever happened for and to you. This happens. It it, it happened, and it's meant to happen to you. Because realizing the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and, and seeing who he is in light of that fact, that's meant to bring blessing into your life that you need desperately and that nothing else, nothing else can offer. Now, obviously, and some of you are probably thinking this this very moment, um, the resurrection can be hard to believe. It's not something you see every day. But you know what's wonderful to realize is that the apostles would understand how hard it is to believe in the resurrection You realize none of them believed in the reality of the resurrection the first time they heard it. They didn't believe either, but then they saw him. They touched him. They interacted with him repeatedly over many days, and so they could know with full assurance that the resurrection was real, and they could tell the world with full confidence, Jesus is alive. So this morning for our time together in God's word, we're going to have a look at Jesus' first appearance to all his disciples together. It's here in the Gospel of John. And I want us to see not just how the the resurrection is real, it, it is, but I also want us to see how realizing the reality of the resurrection can transform our lives. It, it happened, and it's meant to happen to you. So we're going to see four incredible benefits of believing the apostles' message regarding Jesus' resurrection. Number one, we're going to see that as you realize the reality of Jesus' resurrection, you can have peace no matter what. Peace no matter what. Second, you're going to find power for the greatest purpose. Power for the greatest purpose. Third, you're going to find a firm foundation for your hope. And fourth and finally, life itself. So that's what hopefully we'll see. Peace no matter what, power for the greatest purpose, firm foundation for hope, and life itself. And I pray that as we hear God's word, we will believe the truth about Jesus and his resurrection, and we will receive what Jesus wants to give us in this. So first, peace no matter what. We start in verses 19 to 21. I hope you'll follow along uh, in your Bibles. Remember the story, Jesus died on Friday, Saturday was quiet, 
And Sunday morning, strange reports begin to come in. You, could, you can read about that in verses 1 to 18 of John's account. Some of the ladies went to the tomb early in the morning and came back reporting, it's empty. And one would saying she had talked with Jesus who had risen from the dead. Now, if you're going to write up these stories kind of to make it a, a slick myth, you know, to convince everybody... I think what you'd, have to say, what you'd have to do here is you'd have to have everybody believing immediately, right? Well, Luke, Luke responds. He tells us, Luke 24, 11, at first, none of the disciples believed the testimony of these ladies. In fact, it says, it seemed to them an idle tale. Jeez, guys, right? So we realize, despite all of Jesus' predictions, hey, I'm going to die and rise, Jesus' followers did not expect him to rise from the dead. You know, some people will camp out for a new iPhone. Uh, any, any of you, those people in here? You, you, some people will camp out for a new iPhone. We should have expected the disciples to be camping out right by that tomb and being like, three, two, one, right? They, he told them this was going to happen on the third day. They should have been camping out. Where are they? They're hiding in fear. They do not expect a resurrection. They do not expect it. Um, there's an important lesson from the way these accounts work. I'm going to read to you a quote from theologian, historian N.T. Wright. This is what he says. He says, these stories exhibit exactly the surface tension we associate not with tales artfully told by people eager to sustain a fiction and therefore anxious to make everything look right. No, but with the hurried, puzzled accounts of those who have seen with their own eyes something which took them horribly by surprise and with which they have not yet fully come to terms. They haven't come to terms with this. They don't get this. They don't even believe it yet. So we find them there that Sunday evening, altogether defined by fear. They're hiding in this room, locked up for fear, it says, of the Jews. And, and you can see why. It makes sense. Number one, the, the one they trusted, the one they loved, the one they followed, tried unjustly, tortured, crucified. And they could wonder, maybe we're next. Maybe they'll be hunting us down, so that would be terrifying. But I, th I think it's, it's even more than that. All their hopes and dreams are crushed. You ever experience this in your life? You kind of put all, all your eggs in one basket, your identity, your hope, and your meaning on, on this thing, and then that thing falls through. And so you, you think of the disciples here. They've lost their friend, the one they've loved, they, but they've lost their meaning in life. They've lost their mission they were part of. All the foundations of their religious, philosophical beliefs, to them, it's all crumbled. And so literally, they are trapped. They are locked up in fear. And I wonder, maybe some of you feel like that today. Maybe some of you feel like that today. And this can almost serve as a picture for our hearts sometimes. Trapped in fear. Then all of a sudden, the text tells us Jesus comes and is standing there. He's, he comes and he's standing there. This is one of those moments you just imagine. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall for this one? 
I mean, what is that like? How much coffee was spilled when Jesus was just standing there, right? I wish we had a couple, couple of verses of how, like, some people fainted, other people started screaming, you know? How do, how do you respond to this when he's just there? He was just there. But, you know, the text doesn't tell us or give us everything we're curious about, but it does give us what we need. What did Jesus say to them? What does he say to them in the midst of chaos, of loss, of fear? What does he say to them? Peace. He appears and he says, peace. Oh, we need peace. You know, in one sense, it's the normal greeting of the time. This is what people would say. So he just appears. He's like, peace. <laughs> what? But it's, also, it's obviously so much more than that as well. Right here, Right here in the midst of your fear, there can now be peace like never before. There's a lot of things that didn't change. The Jewish authorities would still hate them. And some of these people would actually be captured and killed for their belief. This doesn't mean everything became easy. But every New Testament letter, it seems, does start with grace and, and peace. To you because, because now we have a peace that nothing can take away, that no circumstance can ruin. We have peace like never before because Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. You know, according to this text, he immediately shows them his scars. Did you notice that? Come, come check out my scars. <laughs> so, you know. Big scars usually come with big stories, right? We could probably have a kind of a weird, super fun party where it'd be like, all right, as appropriate, what scars you got, you know, tell me your story. They, they have a story because you've, you've gone through something and you made it out and it, it's affected your life. There's never been scars like these. There's never been a story like the scars. Or there, there's never been a story like this, the one these scars tell. Here's a few things these scars say. L- listen to the scars. So you, you see like spikes went through his wrists, his, his feet, like a spike went through his feet and a spear went through his side. So he's got, a, he's got a collection here of scars. Listen to what they say. Number one, they say, it's really him. It's really him. It's not a ghost. It's not a spirit. It's a real body, and it's a recognizable body. It's that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, that one. He's here. It's him, our friend, the one we loved. He, we thought we lost him, and he's alive. It's him. The scars tell you it's him. The scars also tell you he really suffered. He really suffered. He suffered more than anyone else has ever suffered. He's terrible, tasted horrible things. He knows pain, mistreatment, shame, loss, betrayal, hatred, mockery, torture, death. He suffered. Scars tell you that, but they also tell you, and this is when you really need to listen up, his suffering was undone. It was undone, and it was completely undone. So think about this. Is, is he suffering any longer? No, he's just fine. Thank you. 
okay? Is he, is, is he coming in here with emotional scars? Are, are you going to say something that, that triggers him and, and throws him upside down into chaos where he, he can't function any longer? Is, is it that kind of a person who's in here right now? Or is he completely together? and strong and healed. You think of peace. Peace means shalom. It means holistic thriving. I mean, it's the same guy. He's got the scars, but, but now locked doors don't seem to matter anymore. He goes through walls. He goes where he wants. His suffering was totally undone, totally healed. On the cross, he had said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, as he died, he said, it is finished. And now he says, peace. Wow. He has accomplished something, and it is what we're all longing for. Suffering and death have been undone. Undone. Renewed. So because of his resurrection now, because of that, because of who he is and what he has done and what has occurred, there is peace now for his people in any situation. Jesus said this, talked about this often in the Gospel of John. I'll give you one example. John 16, 33. John 16, 33. Here Jesus says, I have said these things to you that what? In me, in me you may have peace. So not in your circumstances you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have, what does he say you will have? You will have tribulation. And for most of us, most of the way we live life, we think if I'm having tribulation, I can't also have peace. Right? If this goes wrong, if that goes wrong, I can't have peace. I can't be okay. And Jesus says, in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He did that fundamentally when he rose from the dead. So it's obviously not a promise of an easy life and no suffering in this life. No, but it is a promise that the one who rose from the dead is the sovereign Lord in and over suffering. He's in control, and he's overcome the world, and he's going to work now, if you belong to him, all things together for your best good, and someday he is going to undo your suffering and heal you in such a way that everything will be made infinitely better than you ever could have, ab- have imagined. Suffering will be undone. Instead of scars that bring you down and hamper and handicap you in all these ways, they will only sing to the glory of the one who is completely, totally renewed and healed you. If you believe that, that because Jesus rose from the dead, because in him you will too, if you believe that, you will know that fundamentally at the deepest level, all is well for you and will be forever. 
That's why we can sing it. We're not singing it today. Come back soon. We'll sing it again. We sing, it is well with my soul. That's like the anthem of our little church. When peace like a river attendeth my way, even though sorrows like sea billows roll, it doesn't take our peace. Now, it's not an easy button, is it? We're not, we're not always like, we're not always living that out perfectly. Sometimes it's a struggle. We doubt. We, 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 we really have a hard time with this. But as we look where we're supposed to look, and as we see what Jesus wants to give us today, if you realize the reality of his resurrection, he is telling you, even in that locked up room of your fear, guess who's there? He is. Your risen Lord is there. And guess what you can have in him? Peace. And folks, look around. Look around. What else in this world is going to give you that? What else can give you peace in all circumstances? Nothing else. But Jesus can't because he rose from the dead. That's the first thing we're supposed to receive as we believe the apostles' message. Second, you see greatest power for the greatest purpose. Here we are in verse 21. Jesus said to, the, said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Number one, he says, the Father has sent me. This is something pretty important about Jesus. Jesus claimed to be the eternal Son of God sent by the Father who took on human flesh for us and our salvation. If you had met Jesus when he was walking around, if you didn't happen to hit him when he did a miracle, he would look very normal and nondescript, perhaps strangely kind, but he would look normal and nondescript. And if you heard him say, I'm the eternal son of God sent by the Father, your first thought might have been, it's kind of hard to believe, right? And for certain, if anybody today came up and told you that, you'd be like, you have problems, right? How can I help you with your, with your problems? Jesus says, I'm the eternal son of God sent by the Father. I took on flesh for you and your salvation. And the cynical parts of our heart might be, well, prove it. And what if he said, well, how about I predict my death, resurrection on the third day, then do it? What might you say? Fair? He rose from the dead. He's the eternal son of God who took on human flesh for us and for our salvation. He came to save his people. And we see here, as he saves his people, he sends them. As he saves his people, he sends them. And so he sent his apostles. These are especially where some of his disciples he gave authority to, to proclaim him and what he's done. That's why we're reading the Gospel of John, not Pastor Matt's interesting opinions, okay? That would be worthless. We're reading the Gospel of John. They have authority to proclaim Jesus. And so he sends them to proclaim him. And not only does he send them, he gives them power for the work. What does he say to them? Receive the Holy Spirit. Remember just this beautiful truth that our God is triune. One God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are distinct in person. They are each in their nature truly, fully God. So we see in the plan of salvation, the Father has you in mind. He sends the Son to accomplish your salvation. He sends the Spirit to apply your salvation and to bring you near. It's so beautiful. And Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit as you're sent out. You could ask, well, why, why the breathing? That's a great question. Um, I'm not going to go into all the 
possibilities of that, but I, but I know it's, I believe it's deep symbolism of what is going to occur later in fullness, right? If you read the book of Acts, the history of the early church, you see the Holy Spirit come on the apostles, and wow, does it change them, right? They were hiding in a room together, they received the Holy Spirit, and now they're out with new boldness and humility and character and joy, telling people about Jesus no matter the threats, no matter the difficulty, the Holy Spirit really did transform them. But we also see here that John is tying the receiving of the Holy Spirit to the reality of Jesus' resurrection. You see this? If you read through the Gospels, you ever read through the Gospels and and seen sometimes Jesus will say, now don't tell anybody about me and who I am. You ever notice that? Don't tell anybody yet. Because nobody's going to understand or truly get the message until he dies and rises again. And then when you see these things come together, he's God's promised king who died for our sins and rose from the dead. As you believe that, number one, it's the Holy Spirit awakening you to who God is and what he has done for you. And also he then enables you to love this so much, to have it just shine light on your whole life that you're now going to speak it. To other people. The Holy Spirit enables us to realize the reality of what Jesus has done and gives us power to live in light of it. And this is God's purpose. That's why I said Jesus' resurrection gives us power for the greatest purpose. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says God is, trying, he, God is reconciling the world to himself. And, and, then, and then Paul says, we give this appeal to you, be reconciled to God. And so now, I mean, this, this is part of what Jesus is saying. I can, based on what the apostles have told us, I can now appeal to you. Right now, this morning, to be reconciled to God. You see what this means? God, God wants to make, make things right. And your sin, you're at enmity with him, you don't like him. Maybe even some of you right now, you don't, you don't like him. And, but God has turned, even though you deserve his wrath and his justice, He's actually turned his face of grace towards you by sending Jesus Christ to live a perfect life in your place, die on the cross for your sins, and rise from the dead. And now because of what Jesus has done, we can say, come, God has made the way for you to be right with him. You can be reconciled to God. You can be restored to a relationship of love and fellowship with the God who made you, and especially because God's going to forgive you of all your sins. That's what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.19. That is, in Christ, God's reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then Paul says, as an apostle, entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. Isn't that beautiful? You can see what, back to John, you can see what Jesus is saying to his apostles. He says in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Now, what are we supposed to do with that? Are the disciples able to just go out with a whim and be like, well, you can be forgiven, and, and you, we like you, but not you, you know, no. Is that how this is working? Of course not, of course not. You, they have this message of reconciliation of who Jesus is and what he's done. They're proclaiming the message of the scars. He died and he rose, and if you'll turn from your sin and trust in him, you can be reconciled to God. He took the wrath you deserve. You know, Jesus is not the only man to be crucified on a Roman cross, right? Thousands and thousands and thousands. But he's the only, he is the only man who did it to take 
the just wrath of God you and I deserve in our place. Well, how do you know that? He rose from the dead. He he rose from the dead. And God vindicated the work of Jesus on the cross by raising him from the dead, which which is what is so beautiful here this morning. I can actually say, from the authority of the apostles who saw the risen Christ, I can actually say, if you'll repent of your sin and trust yourself to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for you, you're forgiven of all your sins. I can say that to you and know that's true because Jesus rose from the dead. Let's go ahead and just take a few seconds to ponder all your sins. Do you believe that you have some today? Maybe some of you are thinking of other people who've done worse sins than you, kind of like some rub some lotion on the sting, you know? There's a holy God. He's got a standard. It's his law. It's perfection. Love him with all you are. Love your neighbor as yourself according to his word. I'm going to tell you, I know I'm wearing a tie today. I know I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a sinner. I've sinned so many ways. I got skeletons in my closet. I need to be forgiven. I need to know I'm right with a holy God. How can I know it? I know it because Jesus died for my sins personally. How do I know that? He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He's alive. His work counts for all who would trust in him. That's so wonderful. And now we can share this message together today. And we could could share it with the world. We can be reconciled to God. So the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus, how he rose from the dead. We can know we're his and we're forgiven of our sins. Reconcile the Father. We can share this news with others. We can say, if you'll trust Jesus, you'll be forgiven. And then I also must say, I must say, if you won't trust Jesus, you are not forgiven of your sins. Because Jesus is the only way. Who else lived a perfect life to make you righteous before a holy God? There's no one else. Who else could and did die as a substitute in your place so that you could be forgiven? Who else could or would or did do that? There's no one else. Who else rose from the dead? after undoing sin and death. Jesus Christ, there's no one else. Trust in him and be saved. So what we've seen so far, realizing the reality of the resurrection gives peace in any circumcised sect, or <laughs> circumcised. <laughs> Circumstance. I suppose if you had, no, I'm, I'm leaving that. Peace in any, <laughs> peace in any circumstance. Power for the greatest purpose. All right, now we get an interesting problem. This will lead to the third point. Did you see in verse 24, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. We don't know why. It would be interesting to theorize why, but we don't know. We don't know why he wasn't there. So he missed it. And to be honest, have you ever missed out on something that was amazing before? You're like, oh, I missed out. I mean, this stinks, right? This is like, out of all things to miss out on seriously he wasn't he wasn't there he didn't see it but then his response look what he says he said okay the disciples actually here begin to do the mission jesus gave them tell them about who i am and what i've done and the first person they tell is one of their own 
So these people are these people are foxhole friends, okay? They have been together, they've been through the wars, they they know one another. And they say, We have seen the Lord. And what does Thomas, their close friend, say to them? Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, place my finger to the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. Okay, so in one sense, how many of y'all are a little bit thankful for Thomas? Okay, he's, he's the guy in the room. We all, we all need one of these. You read, you read about Thomas's life and the way he's like, and he's the guy who always asks the hard question that the rest of us were afraid to ask. Okay, maybe he's a little melancholy. Maybe he's a little glass half empty. Maybe he's a little stubborn, but we like him because he, he tells it straight, right? He's, he's kind of, he's the first skeptic. Okay, but we have to realize in, in the context of this passage, his response is a little bit of a problem. What did Jesus say? He said, the way the world's gonna know about me is you, my apostles who have seen me, are gonna have power to share the message of who I am and what I've done. And Thomas seems to be saying a little bit what some people love to say today. Maybe you're saying it right now. He is saying the eyewitness testimony of the apostles regarding Jesus' resurrection is not enough for me to believe. He's saying it's not enough. So this situation, this helps us think. Let's think a little bit. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, you need to know this. The the Christian claim here is a claim of historical reality. We're not, we're not doing what, what some do where it's like, well, we can't really believe in a historical resurrection, so we'll just have the resurrection in our hearts, you know? Let's be nice. It's not what we're saying. It's a, it's a claim of history. Okay, how do you know whether or not something happened in history? How do you know? You have to analyze and trust the testimony of credible witnesses. That's how you know. That's how it works in a court of law. It's how it works for studying any historical event. You don't get to go back in time and live it out again. It's not an option. You can't say, well, unless I go back in time and see it, I will not believe. Really? Another thing. You know, one argument skeptics use against the apostles' testimony of the resurrection is they say, well, the apostles were just so sad and crushed they had to make, the resur- make it up, right? They had to make the res- resurrection up to help, them, help themselves feel better. Have you heard that one? They were just all so broken, so they had to invent it. That's not going to work, is it, if you read this passage? Does Thomas seem interested in false comfort to you? I'm so sad. Just tell me lies so I can be happier. No. He was willing to stand alone from his community in unbelief. Close your eyes and just believe. People, people say that's what Christians do when we talk about faith. That is not what we're doing, and that was never going to work for any of these people, especially not for Thomas. So, so we find here some wisdom for when we're doubting, okay? Some wisdom for when we're doubting. Notice these things. Despite the doubt and the disagreement, where is Thomas next Sunday night? He still came to church. You learned something here? 
Did the apostles kick him out because he didn't believe right away? You're doubting? Leave. Some of you have church experiences like that. You ask a question, they were like, get out of here. On behalf of all churches, I want to apologize. Okay? No, ask the hard questions. Ask them. He didn't leave in his doubt. They didn't kick him out in his doubt. Also, did he say, I'm out of here, I'm gone? Or did he stick it out for a while? He stuck it out. So I, I want to encourage you, if you're doubting the claims of Christianity, I want to ask you to have intellectual integrity and study the evidence to the best of your ability and try to determine whether or not you think the best answer to the situation is that Jesus rose from the dead. Because you know what I'm, I've seen that is so sad and frustrating? A lot of people will doubt that Jesus rose from the dead and then never investigate it. Some people will spend hours researching political conspiracies or whether or not aliens exist and give nothing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, I have a suspicion because in many cases, admitting the reality of the resurrection of Jesus would mean you have to give up control of your life. It would mean you've got to submit to Jesus as your Lord, and that is something that many are simply unwilling to do. And in the end, kind of being a skeptic is this convenient excuse to preserve your own autonomy. But at least know it's not intellectually honest that way. It really isn't. Seek the truth about Jesus. And the encouraging thing about this story, I think this account with, uh, with Thomas also shows us if you seek Jesus, you'll find him, and he will show you the evidence that you need. Anyway, Jesus does that for Thomas. Thomas is going to be an, an apostle, and Thomas gets to see. A week later, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas is with them, though the doors were locked. He did it again. He came and stood among them. I wonder if some of them were used to it or if they spilled the same coffee the second time. Peace be with you. He says the same thing. And then he looks right at Thomas and I think, whoa, he knew what Thomas needed. He knew what Thomas has said. Can you imagine being Thomas? I will not believe. Ah, and Jesus says, go ahead. And Thomas says, the only thing you can say when the Holy Spirit shows you the reality of Jesus' resurrection, what does he say? My Lord and my God, I'm yours. I trust you. I worship you. I devote my life to you. But you need to see Jesus' response here in verse 29. A little bit of a discipline for Thomas, a little bit of an encouragement for us. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that the witness of the apostles regarding his resurrection is a sufficient foundation for your belief in his resurrection. It is. It's enough. It's a sufficient for your foundation. Blessed are those who believe the testimony. And for every Christian in here today, that's me and you. Blessed are you. Happy are you. You believe it. Listen, Christian faith is often without sight, isn't it? Often without sight. It is never without evidence. Often without sight. It is never 
without evidence. So I'm inviting you right now, you wanna talk about this, I would love to talk with you about any question in the world, especially as it pertains to Christianity. I would love that. But here's the point, to sum it all up, this third point. The resurrection proclaimed by the apostles is the one and only sufficient foundation for real hope. I'm just gonna throw this out here, I can't stay on it long, but I think the resurrection is the answer to every big question that there is. Why well, believe there's a happy ending? The resurrection. Why have any joy at a funeral? The resurrection. Why believe that in the end there is such a thing as justice and love? The resurrection. Why believe there is a heaven and you're going to go there? The resurrection. Why believe in any meaning at all? I think I can chase it back to this. Jesus rose from the dead. How can I believe that? the testimony of the apostles. Do you see? It's a firm foundation for our hope. Three things we've seen so far, realizing the reality of the resurrection, peace in any circumstance, power for the greatest purpose, foundation for our real hope. Here's the last one. Look at verses 30 to 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what's John telling you? I mean, read the Gospel of John. You'll see Jesus say and do all these amazing things. It's supposed to convince you of something. Look at who Jesus is and what he's done. And John tells you, there's so much more I could have told you. I, I ran out of space. Told you some, but believe and he says, I'm giving you eyewitness evidence so that you believe something and that you'll have something. Do you see that? And I want what John wants. I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I want you to know, as you hear the apostolic testimony, that the eternal Son of God really did come and take on human flesh and lived a perfect life without sin so that in him you could be counted righteous. I want you to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, so that as you put your trust in him, you are completely and totally forgiven. And I want you to believe that he rose from the dead, and he reigns right now, and one day he's gonna return. I want you to believe all those things, but I don't only want you to believe in facts. You see what happens? By believing, John says, you may have what? Life in his name. Let's remember this. You cannot separate the facts of Christianity from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity is believing some facts about Jesus. Why is that important? Because we want to worship the real God and not one we're making up. The real God. But the truth about Jesus is meant to take you to a relationship with the person of Jesus who did these things so that you can have life in his name. C.S. Lewis imagined it like this. I, I use this illustration a lot. Imagine you're in this old barn in a field or something. It's the middle of the day, and you, you go into this old 
old barn or shed, and it's dark in there. But there's a crack in the ceiling. You see this light shine through, right? Have you, have you seen that before? You go into this dark shed, and you, you can actually see the ray of light shining through. But if you go and you stand under that ray of light, and you look up through the crack, you see the blue sky above. And the message of the New Testament is kind of like that. As you, as you stand and look at it and study it and perceive what they're saying, you, you see that light shining. You look at it, you think about it. Could it be true? But then, as you believe it, the reality of it from the heart and trust yourself to it, you look through that light and you see. You don't just learn about Jesus. You see Jesus and you know him. And this is what we want. We want you to believe the facts so that you can have the relationship and through Jesus Christ have fellowship with God. Listen to what Jesus said, John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they what? They may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you have life? Do you know God as his beloved child through Jesus Christ? Do you know that he knows you and that he loves you? Realize the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Peace no matter what, greatest power for the greatest purpose, we are forgiven, sufficient foundation for real hope, life itself. Let's pray. Father, we've heard your word, and I pray that you would do what I certainly cannot do for myself or anybody else. I pray your spirit would be in here with us and ignite faith, that we would see with our minds, hear with our ears, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and that he rose from the dead, that as we believe that, Lord, I pray if anyone's in here is not a Christian, doesn't know you, that you would introduce yourself right now and call them to know you. They would believe in you, trust themselves to you. For those who are Christians, Lord, let us remember again this glorious reality. Give us peace, Lord, in our circumstances as we look to you. Give us power, Lord, to know we're forgiven, to share the message of forgiveness with others. Give us just this gritty hope that we know the testimony of the apostles is true. And Lord, let us enjoy the life we have belonging to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.